Bed-Stuy is like where uh, a lot of performers are living these days, stand-up comics and improvisers, but you are you are both of those things, correct? All of those things, yeah. Stand-up, uh, improv is my first love, so yeah, yeah that's that's the, the big you one. You see, I have the, I have the Herald sign on my refrigerator. Of course, yeah, Okay, yeah, yeah. so I was, um, I was taking UCB classes for like two and a half years pretty consistently, and then March of 2020 happened. And then, which I'm sure you know, course, yeah. UCB freaking closed down here in uh, New York. But we were just talking about L.A. So what were you doing in L.A.? And then how did you start your improv journey? Let's just start from the freaking beginning. Let's do it. Yeah, I just got back from L.A. I was uh, just taking some general meetings, which are kind of surreal. It's uh, meeting with these people who could change your life, but you're getting a casual coffee. Um, so it's very much like a first date, but it's with someone who's like a development executive for a major network or something. It's crazy. Um, and that was just a wild thing that fell into my life. Lap, uh, through a series of very fortunate events. Um, but yeah, I did improv, like whatever my version of improv was in like high school. Uh, I grew up on Whose Line Is It Anyway, you know, like some short formy stuff. And then, um, yeah, there was like an improv team at my college that I didn't get on. Um, but I'm getting the last laugh now. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I always worshipped UCB from afar. I think someone like maybe did like a summer, you know, uh, month-long class or something at UCB and then they brought back the manual and so we all just like gathered around it and you know gleaned every bit of wisdom from it and learned how to do improv like long-form stuff and uh yeah yeah then I, I had a traveling job in higher education which was a very weird experience footnote in my personal history but while I was uh traveling on the road I would just like look up whatever city I was in improv and I, I did all these drop-ins at like the Washington Improv Theater Improv Boston uh, Philly Improv Theater. So like, I kind of had this like touring lifestyle uh, by the time I finally moved to New York. And uh, yeah, then you get to um, New York and finally it's like you get to take UCB classes, which I did the very first day in New York was like my first class at UCB. Like I wasted no time. And I did the intensives too. So it was like six hours of improv every single day for a week. And oh, then, wow. Okay. And then you're done. And then I did an intensive for 201, which is like three hours a day for two weeks. And then finally it was like, they don't do intensives for like 301 and 401. But it was like, by the time I'm done with 201, I am in 301, like, you know, going. Like I, I wanted to waste no time and uh, set kind of a land speed record, I think, for UCB <laughs> curriculum. And yeah, you know, the, the kind of pyramid scheme of UCB is that you have to take all the classes before you're eligible to audition, you know, for teams. And I was finally eligible. I'd and it was all I think it was, I don't remember the period of time, but it was yeah. definitely not, you couldn't take it like every three months. Like you needed to consistently take it. Maybe not yeah. as close as like 201 and 101 as you did, but definitely like pretty consistently. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it was funny too, because they like, I, the business model, you know, uh, was very much all about the school portion of it. Because they made the, the shows amazingly cheap. Like the tickets were like $5. Yeah, we always had to go to seen. the show. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then with your student ID, you got into the shows for free. So the shows were so accessible, so cheap. But the classes were pretty expensive. And then once everyone in the improv community had taken like improv one through three, they were like, we have to create a, an improv four. And, uh, and you have to take that one too before you can audition. And then there was like the UCB Academy and like all these new hurdles that you had to go through. But... I had finally like become eligible to audition for the uh, Lloyd team. For the Lloyd team, had my first ever audition. My uh, suggestion was split pea soup. <laughs> we did an okay set. I wasn't like wildly proud of it, but uh -huh. uh, you know, I wasn't I wasn't kicking myself or anything. And uh, and then I didn't get it. But then luckily, luckily, uh, if I can't have it, no one can. The pandemic hit, and uh, and then that you know ravaged the whole thing. Uh, but it's been kind of interesting. Like I think, especially in New York. UCB was certainly like I, I was very myopic about it like I had my blinders up and UCB was the only thing like I never considered the pit or the magnet or like indie improv anything like that and with UCB shutting down it like kind of like created this new like kind of it's kind of reminiscent of the original UCB in like the late 90s early 2000s where people have to get creative and like create spaces for themselves because they don't just like freely exist and you know the one that everyone's been reading about from afar is like no longer a thing and so uh all of a sudden like it, it was kind of a real gift for me when we you know got we left a little bit for the pandemic and then uh when things were chilling out and new york was reopening a little bit we got back here and um yeah started like doing some stuff at ucb and then like now like you know now i'll book a show at auto shrunken head which is this like uh it's in the east village it's this tiki bar that plays like grunge music but they have a little room in the back where you can do an improv show for like three people um 
And yeah, like I never would have considered stuff like that because I was so obsessed with the concept of UCB. And um, yeah, yeah. So I got back and then uh, Asylum NYC, which is at the same space as the old uh, UCB Chelsea, uh, has become my like home theater, which is, you know, I just I responded to an Instagram post. They were having auditions for their house team or their I think they don't call it a house team, but they uh, it is effectively that. But it's the, the main stage show Asylum Presents. And yeah, they had like a round of auditions and because of the UCB of it all, I was like so honored just to even be auditioning, um, like to get a time slot and then getting called back was the craziest thing that's ever happened for me. And then actually being one of the people cast was, uh, mind blowing. And it's been such a fun experience. Yeah. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Midland, Texas. Oh, wow. So what was your transition in terms of like growing up in Texas, coming to New York and then just becoming a full-time theater geek as I am myself. So it's okay. I'm calling you that too. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know, Midland is uh, like, it is the birthplace of George W. Bush. I played a tennis tournament there, by the way. So I was there for like three days. Yeah. In Midland, Midland, Texas, there was like a, a 16 and under national open. I played tennis pretty competitively as a... Uh, younger kid, but that was like the only two times I went to Texas were for tennis. Wow. So I didn't spend much time outside that makes besides sense. playing tennis. I think it's all blocked off. So like uh, amateur tennis players like myself couldn't play there, but there is the George W. Bush tennis pavilion, which is probably where you played. Um, um, it's like, I don't remember some, mm-hmm. some big center, maybe yeah, something like that. I should I have, so. I should remember that it was George Bush though. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he's our like hometown hero. And, uh, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, Friday night lights is literally like my hometown. Oh, okay. Um, Amazing show. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the movie, when they were making it, I was like six years old and they had a big cattle call for extras and, uh, I went up to it, you know, and it's like being an extra. Oh, that was your first credit. It. I didn't get it. Oh, yeah. They, uh, they told me I was not good enough to oh, be an really? extra. And ha- having done background work now, uh, it's not hard. So oh, okay. Um, so yeah, it was pretty insulting as uh, a toddler to be told that you, insulted, you, yeah. you don't have it. Uh, and we're literally casting like a thousand people to stand in the stands. Um, but yeah, so like ever since then, I had like a vendetta against the uh, entertainment industry, and so now I've been trying to break in and uh, prove them wrong. And I think that's what I'm doing now. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I loved watching comedy and like I, I've never considered really doing anything else. Like even I think briefly I like wanted to be a lawyer and then I was like, no, I think I just want to play a lawyer in a movie. Um, so, yeah. And I went to Texas Christian University in Fort Worth. Uh, for the Horned Frogs. The Horned Frogs. Are you impressed that I knew that? I'm very impressed. Are you a football fan? Well, I am. Um, I played tennis at UConn. So uh, you guys actually just transferred to the same conference that we're in randomly. UConn and TC are in the same football conference. So you guys just smack us around in football. And then occasionally if we go go down there for tennis, I'm sure we wouldn't do as great. But like Texas school is great at sports. Yeah, absolutely. And we're a phenomenal football school. Actually, TCU is uh, Ladanian Tomlinson. That's right. I have a signed uh, TCU helmet. That's like the only piece of any like kind of memorabilia that I have. I bought a TCU helmet signed by him. Oh, yeah, Uh, by him? Yeah. Oh, nice. And he played on the Jets, too. So maybe you New York freaking Jets people know who we're talking about. There we go. Yeah. Uh, LT, greatest running back of all time. Yeah, um, man. Is a horned frog. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. I studied acting at TCU and it was a really lovely time. And it's funny, too, because I. I've, I've since seen TCU listed in like articles of like some of the most conservative schools in the country. And it's wild to me because I'm from a place that's like 82% Trump voters. And when I got to TCU, especially being in the theater community, it was like this liberal oasis to me, like uh, just because like comparatively it was actually much more progressive than my hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think sometimes articles like that are very clickbaity and like uh, paint with pretty broad strokes, but um yeah, it was a lovely place that I, I enjoy going back to. And, like, I'm very much, like, sitting at this dive bar in Brooklyn watching every TCU football game this year. It's been really fun. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, then moving to New York, uh, it was it was interesting. Like, I sometimes regretted not applying to, like, NYU or any, you know, schools directly in the city and just, like, diving straight in. But well, how, were some, how was the uh, acting program at TCU? You said it was, like, a pretty liberal-type place. And what year was that, like, when where you were actually there? And then where were other people coming in from? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I started at TCU in 2013, graduated 2017. And uh, I think my freshman year was the first year that TCU had more people from out-of-state than in-state. It's a private school, so um, tuition's the same for everybody. I had some nice scholarships, which were very, very helpful because it's a pretty expensive spot. Um, And yeah, people like uh, I think because TCU played in the Rose Bowl in like 2010, like weirdly that like there was this huge like insurge of like some money. Yeah. yeah. Maybe uh, some of the alumni were like, all right, we'll give them a few shekels, whatever. And so then apparently like 
all these people from SoCal started like applying to TCU because oh, they fell in love with the wow, school. Wow, yeah. that's great. Um, so yeah, a lot of people from Southern California, like Kansas City has a lot of like uh, people and then Chicago are like all of our biggest feeders for TCU, which was random. But now I have like couches to crash on all over the country, which is really nice. Um, yeah, yeah, big fan of TCU. And uh, yeah, I think like Dallas-Fort Worth was like a good metroplex to get my feet wet in. Like okay. just being from, you know, a town where it, it's a larger city than people think, Midland. Uh, like we have cars and stuff. I, I have people who, who are also from Texas who thought that I like rode a horse to school every day. And that <laughs> is not exactly the vibe, um, but it is like a small city. And um, so I think that if I had come straight into New York, it may have been a little bit of a culture shock. So, yeah, I was eager to get here when I finally did. And I, you know, got to spend some fall breaks and stuff while I was in college visiting friends who were at NYU and stuff like that. So I got to, you know, try out the city a little bit before fully committing to it. But yeah. Did you ever feel like... Um being in Texas, you kind of felt out of place being a full like theater, a person who really loved theater or when you like got to New York was like, all right, I'm finally home. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I love sports and stuff. Like I, I, I played, uh, I quit one sport a year actually because of theater. Like I always used to resent high school musical, uh, because they make it look so easy for Troy Bolton to like Yeah, balance. to just break into song and, yeah. <laughs> and then go win the game, yeah, win the state title. Just, you know, casually juggle the schedule. Yeah, Corbin Blue had the more realistic uh, situation. He, he really needed did. to figure out his career after that after that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> so, like, uh, you know, I yeah quit, uh, I quit baseball first and then football and then basketball was the last to go. But, like, I loved uh, getting in, uh, involved in athletics and I'm a big fan of sports. Uh, so I'm kind of the outsider in that way, weirdly, uh, now with all my theater and like improv and stuff, uh, friends. But um, yeah, no, it is pretty wild to now be around people who are as passionate about improv as people from my hometown are about like high school football. Yeah. Uh, did you get into stand up after the pandemic or how did you kind of balance balance that being, you know, improv first? Yeah, I did stand up a handful of times pre-pandemic and it was never consistent enough to like really develop my own comedic voice or anything. And um, yeah, like I'd done some open mics, but you know, especially with how crowded open mics are, you know, it's like doing a five all of a sudden it's like, all right, you have to do two. I say, like, how, how much of an impression can you really make in two minutes? Um, so yeah, it, it, was, it was tricky, but I did perform at some cool spots. Um, but it wasn't until I, I really started to blend... Um, like stand up with ca original characters as well. Like it was earlier this year that I did characters for the first time um, just because I was actually going to do a sketch in a show with a friend and then that friend tested positive for COVID and I was just like, well, I still want to do this show. Can I just like turn one of the characters from our sketch into like a solo piece or whatever? And uh, it gave me the opportunity to start like working on a set and then the person finally like tested negative in time for the show. But I was like, uh, can we also do the character thing? Cause I'm actually kind of more passionate about that at this point. Um, and yeah, that was like the first time I ever did a character set. And then I think a lot of the just setup of the characters that I'm doing is like stand up -y in itself, you know? Um, and so I, I, I do a, a pretty weird set when I perform live where I blend character and stand up and stuff where it's like, I kind of just piss everybody off, you know? Uh, oh, it's characters, you know? Uh, but, but somehow I, I try to win. Well, there's no over. correct way to do comedy, you know, like doing stand up, doing improv and then doing char characters, improv and stand up all yeah. in one. It's a beautiful thing. It seems like, did you go back to Texas during the pandemic after you were here for a couple of years? Yeah. Yeah. So my uh, fiance, she moved, uh, into New York with me at the beginning of 2020. And then she booked this show at uh, Bush Gardens Williamsburg. It's like this world-class Irish step dancing show. And she was the vocalist for it. What's step uh, dancing? So uh, like the like, uh, gosh, I'm going to butcher it. But like, is I, it kind of like tap dancing or no? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, actually the whole show is like the American tap dancers versus the Irish step dancers. It's like the big device battle of the show. Yeah. Um, so it's this amazing thing. And these people from like Australia and Ireland get flown out to Bush Gardens Williamsburg. And it's like, the greatest Irish step show in the world. Um, and it's just at this theme park in rural Virginia. Um, and Lexi was the uh, vocalist there. And so right when the pandemic was really getting kind of crazy, I just booked an overnight bus and I waited out part of the storm with her in Williamsburg, Virginia, because it was just a lot cheaper and there's a lot more. Oh, you said William. I thought you meant Williamsburg, Brooklyn. That's oh, so yeah. funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, Williamsburg, Virginia. Yeah. Williamsburg, okay. VA. Colonial Williamsburg. Uh -huh. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we like waited out the storm a little bit there cause she had a lease that she couldn't really get out of for six months. And I was just doing like month to month living in some 
literal Harry Potter closet. Uh, so I was, I was eager to get under the steps, literally. Yeah. Um, it was so tiny, um, and a thousand bucks a month and like deep, deep Brooklyn too. It was, I'm bad at finding apartments, but, uh, yeah. So we waited that out. We found a dog that we were going to foster. And then within 30 seconds of fostering him, it was like, all right, this guy's a permanent fixture in our lives. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I couldn't, I can't foster dogs. That's a bad idea for me. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So then the lease was up and, New York was still not really open yet. Uh, so we moved back to Texas for about a year. And so, yeah, not to Midland, to Fort Worth, which is a little bit more, you know, progressive and just there's more to do a little bit. Well, yeah. what kind of stuff were you doing when you were down there? Uh, I, I was like just, just trying to do theater stuff. Uh, I was just working from home doing like customer service stuff like online. Oh, it, wow. it was like pretty much a screeching halt in terms of the uh, comedy stuff that I was doing and Based on how intensely involved I was with UCB right when the pandemic hit, I would have thought I would have become one of those people that was doing like, you know, uh, improv shows via Zoom every night and everything. And, and I got burned out on that so immediately that I, I started to kind of panic and think like, am I ever going to love this again? And luckily then the first like class that I took, like the second I got back to New York, I was immediately in love again. But uh, yeah, I was I was really burned out. I think that I had put all of my eggs in one basket and then that basket shut down permanently in its New York, uh, version. Just that lit that it's, you were on like the same timeline as me. I was, I had, um, can't remember his name. It was maybe it was like Brandon Ramika or something like that. Maybe yeah. his name sounded uh, like that. He, Ramika. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. So anyway, he was, um, he was our 401 teacher. And like during the time when we were all like writing our reviews for the teacher in class, like we had our performance that Saturday and that Saturday was like March 13th, 2020 it was like yep. the day when everyone was saying, all right, just wait it out two weeks or whatever. So that was going to be my second time trying out for the Lloyd team. The first time they didn't like me, I guess. So I was about to try out for the Lloyd team. And we just found out that like my uh, audition a week and a half later just wasn't going to happen. So I moved to my dad's house in Long Island and then slowly started to pick up more and more stand up comedy since like improv wasn't really an option for, you know, until I, I mean, what, like uh, eight months after yeah. March 13th of 2020, you know? Yeah. And it was a Friday, crazy. March 13th, because I remember it was, a, it was a Friday the 13th that it all went crazy. Oh, uh, my God. To yeah. Insult to injury. Insane. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. Like, I think pivoting and, like, I wish that I had gotten into, like, TikTok and stuff before because I, I was pretty late to the game on that. And it feels like uh, I have some friends who really blew up and all of them are truly incredibly funny people. But um, I think... Right as the pandemic hit, people were like developing their roster of like who they were going to follow through this pandemic. Like who, totally who, like they're building out like who's going to get me through this. I remember that like the first three months, like from March to June, I was like, what the shit is this TikTok app? Yeah. It's just like everybody's dancing on it. People are getting hundreds of millions of views. I didn't even download it until like August or September, yeah. I think, after that, like six months, real, real big jump in the United States, especially. Oh, yeah. And I was slow to the game. And I think that like. It was, it was pretty easy to get a follow at that point. Like, I think that people were just, uh, the, you know, the second it's like, oh, you're funny. You might help me survive this horrible time. <laughs> yeah. Like, you and Tiger that. King, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, so I have some friends who, like, really popped off during the pandemic. And I took my time getting onto TikTok. And, like, I think that uh, maybe I'm just not as hot as my friends or something. But, like, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, like I, I've had some successful videos on there. Um, but... It just doesn't always translate to a follow as easily because I think people are kind of like my roster's full. Like I, I've I've committed to these people. They got me through the pandemic. Like you're just some. I'll give you a like. Right. Yeah. Well, one thing that I think is always changing, and um, I think it, when you look at like terms of like creator economies, is YouTube. You know, like it does seem like you're seeing a new YouTuber every week. Oh yeah. It doesn't really feel so much like that with TikTok. It just feels like there's. X amount of creators maybe that you know, and then it hasn't really changed as much where as YouTube, I start to see more people each week. And I'd like to think that as well, being a creator, you know, having this podcast, everybody watching and listening, and then uh, just consistently putting out as much stuff as possible. Your fiance is an uh, um, improv performer as well? Yeah, she just had her, uh, she's starting to, yeah. She took an improv one class through the Squirrel Comedy Theater, and uh, she literally just had her uh, class show this weekend. Phenomenal. Really yeah. Well done. Um, she did a good job. 
Yeah, and she and I have uh, hosted some shows together, and like I've had her like jump on some shows with me as well. And um, yeah, she's a fantastic performer. She studied musical theater, and so she's yeah. Very you guys meet at TCU? Yeah, yeah, we did at, on the wow. set of a TCU commercial. Actually, yeah. what was the commercial? It was uh, it was like a, the hype video for our football team um, that played at the beginning of every one of our games. Your face is like painted um, half purple. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, we met and um, became super fast friends, and then within like uh, you know we became friends for a couple of years before we started dating and. And it's a it's a pretty good foundation. Yeah, we uh, we've been dating for like five and a half years now. Wow. Engaged for a couple. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's a good it's a good vibe. Do you there. see yourself spending the rest of your life in New York? Uh, in New York, yeah. Um, I think so. Yeah, I would love to be in New York and someplace else as well. Sure. You know, yeah. Like, uh, to to establish myself like as someone who can afford to live in multiple places would be obviously pretty wild. I don't know. You know, it's, um, I, I think I really love Austin. Like we've been there a couple times, uh, more recently and, um, yeah, I hope we hosted a show, my, my fiance and I, uh, during pride called Texas pride. Everything's gayer in Texas. And, uh, it was an all LGBT Texan lineup here in New York uh, at asylum actually. And, uh, super fun. Cause I think, I think this is true for a lot of places, uh, Texas being the pinnacle of them, I, th I think, but uh, where you have this love-hate relationship with where you're from, because it's the place where you, were, you found yourself and you found your people, but it's also the first place that you were ever made to feel bad about who you are or who your people are. Um, and so I thought that this would be a really cool opportunity for people to celebrate the parts of Texas that they love without, you know, where they can check the shitty parts at the door, you know what I mean? Um, and uh, we had like a, a tattoo artist uh, on stage throughout the show giving pay what you want tattoos. Uh, and, and it all went to uh, the Transgender Education Network of Texas. So it was a really special show. Um, yeah. And I got my first tattoo uh, on stage while I was hosting. So what is it? What does it say? It's a, it's a little cowboy hat on the back of my arm. Yeah. Nice. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I think that I love uh, when the kindness is real. You know what I mean? And, and like when, once you scrape past the facade that some people uh hide behind and you find that like it's it's genuine and it is in a lot of people uh that's really special and like queso as well you know um, do you find that um new york is more accepting of the lgbt community i think on the aggregate i think like a lot of it is just a matter of exposure you know what i mean because i think back in texas um i i have become like the first trans person that a lot of my friends and family have ever met or seen or right. like known to exist uh, and so like when, when they talk about, I guess specifically trans people, um, but the LGBT community at large, like they are speaking in this like hypothetical scenario way, like they're arguing against like a concept as opposed to people in New York see trans people on the train or whatever, you know what I mean? Like they know that it exists. More and, familiar. And, like, it's, yeah, I think it's a, a matter of familiarity and seeing like, oh, like this isn't like you know, like they, they're able to more easily look past like the fear mongering that you see on a lot of like news outlets um, because it's like, oh, well, I've seen a trans person and they didn't groom me on the train or whatever, you know, um, as opposed to, uh, well, I've, I've never seen a trans person. So the only like, you know, story I have about trans people to go off of is what I'm hearing from Tucker Carlson or whatever, you know, who also probably has never met a trans person. And does that come from just stereotypes that are completely not true? Like, where do you think people... You say like the fear mongering. Where do you think people would potentially get that from? Where do people get fear mongering from? I know, it's, I know it's a loaded question, but where would you think? Yeah, I think. I th well, I think it just comes from discomfort. You know what I mean? As opposed to, I think people want to take like this moral high ground while still being bad people. Like I think people don't want to just say like, ah, that's icky to me, or I'm I'm confused by, I don't know, your desire to live in a gender that I don't understand or something like that. Like I think that they don't, they don't want to own because uh, a lot of people can see themselves being on the wrong side of history. Uh, but, but still not conform, not like getting with it. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that there are people who won't call themselves out, but they will quietly acknowledge to themselves that they're like, uh, wrong ultimately and that like you know there's the uh, martin luther king jr quote that like uh, the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends toward justice mm -hmm. uh so i think a lot of people know that to be true and they know that trans people aren't hurting anyone uh, but because it makes them uncomfortable and because someone out there like tucker carlson is like propelling these myths that there's danger there that's like it's easier to say oh i'm scared of the danger than I'm made uncomfortable by your existence. Yeah, um, like there's not something specific that you could point to. Yeah, it's just a matter of being 
a little uncomfy. When did you start your journey transitioning? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was like five years old. My very first memory, and I have a song about this. Uh, I play some like live music as well. Um, that's vaguely funny. Well, give um, us a quote from the song too. Um, uh, I, well, so I, I just, maybe, maybe the song, uh, sum it all up, but I go, uh, home alone on a Tuesday, dad's at work. And that's true because my dad, uh, would always go to the, the auto auction. He sells cars. Uh, so on Tuesdays was the day that he was at the auto auction and he would always bring me a, a toy car home from the auto auction. And, um, so while I was home alone, um, my sister's got a closet full of clothes and I've half a mind to try them on. Um, and I, I put on my older sister's dress and some makeup and stuff. And my dad got home and he wasn't like horrible about it but he uh he made a joke that um oh, i guess i should have got you a barbie but he wasn't being like serious you know he wasn't like oh wow i should and you remember this as a five-year-old this is like yeah my very first memory is feeling gender dysphoria like wanting to like having a curiosity about femininity and also feeling wrong about it you know what i mean um my dad saying like oh like you know he was you know being a little bit uh insincere when he said like oh, i should have brought you a barbie or whatever um so like, yeah, I've, I've known that I was experiencing gender dysphoria like throughout my life. Um, and then my parents, they uh, separated briefly for like uh, a year, my freshman year. And so it was just my mom and I living together. They got back together. But um, while it was just me and my mom, uh, she shared something about her life with me that was like deeply personal. And it really moved me to be like, hey, well, can I share something with you? And I told her about like gender dysphoria. And I wish that I could be a fly on the wall for that conversation because I between you and your mom freshman year. Yeah. Yeah. Of high school. So I was like 14 and this was before like Caitlyn Jenner or Laverne Cox or any of these like mainstream trans identities. Um, and I just told her like, uh, I am transgender. This is like how we like block hormones. This is how we start taking more. Like I, I like, fully educated her. Was on, this on you this like stuff. doing a bunch of research on this yeah. by yourself? Yeah, I guess I'd done a whole bunch of like Googling and like equipped myself. And you found that it was readily available though at this time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so this would have been in like 2009. Um, okay. uh, yeah, 2008 or 2009. And it was, it is wild to me in hindsight because that's a lot of like on Reddit and stuff. When I hear about people who come out when they're younger, it's like, they just tell their parent, like, I'm confused and I, I want to live as a girl you or you were know, like whatever. educating your mom yeah like normally it's the parent who is then charged with like finding resources and figuring out how, what to do about it i was just like i just need you to co-sign like i've done all the work for you and uh, i think that my mom conflated gender and sexuality and so when i continued like dating girls she just was like okay cool you're healed um and uh, and that's i think like the thing that really pushed me from starting my transition and like really being persistent. Um, Why? Just because you were um, consistently dating females? Yeah. Yeah. And acting as a straight male? Exactly. Yeah. And I think like I played the role so well, like, like I mentioned, like I, I like sports, like I'm, you know, and I, I played them well. And then when I went to college, like I was very much like the leading man in the plays and I could grow like a wicked, like Shakespearean beard oh, and wow. stuff, you know? And so um, I think like I fit into this like cishet, male role extremely well um in a way that made it a little bit more difficult like i uh one of my very earliest friends um that i ever knew in real life who was trans was a very feminine gay guy when i met her and or that's how she was presenting and then she came out as non-binary and then as a trans woman and it was like people could understand that like they could follow along a little bit more easily than like wait but you were you know you're the troy bolton of our high school type vibe you know um and so I think it was really difficult uh, for people to understand that. And I think even I was like, I made myself a little bit more uncomfortable. Like I remember the first time I talked to a counselor at TCU uh, about it, I was like in a, like a Chekhov play or something. And so it was like, what's that? Uh, Anton, Anton Chekhov. Oh, oh okay. yeah. Um, it wrote like the seagull and uh, three, three sisters was the play, but I had like, I was growing out my facial hair so they could figure out what to do with it or whatever. So like, I had a pretty gnarly beard and uh, then I'm telling this woman about like my gender dysphoria that I've had my whole life. And I just remember feeling so like gross about myself and how I looked like that. I just remember staring at the ground the entire time I was telling her about it because I was so like embarrassed to, you know, and I wasn't even using these words, but the way it felt like it was being perceived as like, I'm this man's man. And I'm saying like, I want to be a pretty princess or whatever, you know, like, and, um, and she obviously was like incredibly kind and, you know, handled it professionally and was cool. Um, but yeah, like I felt, I feel like I judged myself and, and could, uh, I don't know, like, uh, predict a lot of the judgment that I would have experienced. Um, so yeah. And then like, uh, digging further into this like masculinity hole that I was, uh, in, I ended up 
founding a fraternity at TCU my junior year. And then I worked for that fraternity um, for two years as like a leadership consultant. So I would go to different schools where there was a chapter and uh, give like anti-hazing workshops and things like that. And uh, yeah, it was a very, it was already a pretty interesting experience. And then when you come out as trans, like it's like even weirder that you ever worked for a fraternity. Um, but yeah, like that's like as masculine, like as it gets. And um, yeah, yeah. And then finally, um, I, you know, have Lexi has always been super kind and supportive to me and uh, she, you know, helped me. And uh, yeah, I was like, it was, I think early last year that I was finally like, all right, I think I'm ready to come out and like transition. And I know that I have a fiance who loves me and is like, uh, she's bi. So it's like, perfect. You know, we're not like the, in terms of the logistics of this romantically, it, it makes sense and it's going to work out. Um, and yeah, I, I, because of those nerves that I felt like when I had the full beard and everything and was like staring at the ground, I wanted to develop kind of a proof of concept is what I kept referring to, uh, before we came out to like my parents and her parents and things like that. Um, and so I wanted to like take hormones for a little while and like do laser hair removal on my face and stuff. So that it was like, oh, you can literally just kind of see what I'm, what I'm going for. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and so I, I posted on my close friend's Instagram story though, and turns out there were people who were logged in to Lexi's account that shouldn't have been, um, and uh, so some people that we weren't ready to share with saw all this information where I was like, kind of comically open about uh, exactly what this meant. I did like a Q and A on my close friends where it was like, I'm going to talk to a doctor about taking hormones, like. What does that mean? Um, it means I'm, I'm headed in the direction of she, her pronouns, and this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. You know, um, and and so basically these these people then threatened to uh, out me to my family, and uh, it was this crazy, horrible thing, and so I had to come out to my parents the very next day. And, yeah, you know, I, uh, my dad, uh, he handled it okay. I was like, hey, we need to talk. Someone's threatening to share something that's not really theirs to share. And, uh, and he said, okay, and uh, we did for about an hour and a half talk about it, and at the end my dad just said, you know what, Jess, you're an adult, you can do whatever you want and need to, to live authentically. And if that means taking hormones, uh, you know, I'm not going to stop you and fuck anybody that thinks that makes you less of a man. I said, well, uh, <laughs> less of a man is, uh, the idea, but the right idea. Um, and that's like now like one of my, uh, my up bits that I do, uh, which is a really fun story. Cause it's just like, the perfectly wrong phrase to right, use, right. but trying uh, to be uh, supportive. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely like the right mentality. And yeah, my, my parents have been uh, pretty good supportive. Um, but yeah, so actually started hormones like last, uh, October. So it's been a, a pretty wild ride. Um, love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, great. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I don't know, like this is totally valid when people do this, but I see a lot of the time, um, uh, trans people, there's like a one to two when I, when I scroll on their Instagram and I, I'm often like fascinated by people's journey just because of how, like, you know, I, I've always been inspired by trans folks. Um, and, uh, I often see like a one to two year period where they get really into like nature, um, because they don't post any photos of themselves cause they're figuring it out and they, um, and they owe it to themselves. Like that privacy is definitely sacred and something that they deserve to have if they want it. But for me, I just felt like I, like I came out fully, like worked up the nerve to come out to my mom when I was 14 years old. Yeah. And I was going to ask about that, that uh, big gap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She basically like, you know, she made a joke like, Oh, well you'd be a tall girl or whatever. And I was like, yeah, okay. Well, was there a point in time when you came out to your mom and then, you know, you were dating girls in high school, your mom kind of just like forgot about it and thought it was like a small phase that would have gone away. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the thing that leads me to believe, uh, she thought it was a sexuality thing is that, when I broke up with the girl that I'd been dating at that time, she said like, you know, did you and her break up because you're gay? And I was like, what? No. Um, but, and, and in hindsight, I'm like, oh, she was thinking that that conversation we had was about me being gay, but it wasn't. Um, and so she just like, I think whether it was like a, a choice that she made or a genuine like confusion, like she was misunderstanding. So she kind of took it as an, I'm not understanding what my child is thinking right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so Instead felt, of like a specific conversation. Exactly, yeah. And and so I, I feel like uh, having had to work up the nerve to come out now twice, you know, because it's already mortifying to have to do once. Well, but the uh, first time, who was really taking your word seriously, though? Uh, yeah, no one, exactly, yeah. So it, it was uh, just such a waste of like the most bravery I had ever had to, you know, uh, accumulate in order to do that. And then it was just like, what? No. <laughs> um, and, and it's weird. Now I have like this 
this fun thing where like anytime I see a tall girl, <laughs> I'm like, a tall girl, look, you know, like they exist, you know, like it's like, oh my God, amazing. Um, you, me, me, you. Yeah, yeah. Cause it's like, mom, that's fine. There are tall girls, uh, like cis and trans women. Like they, they're all, they're tall. There's tall women all over New York. Um, and, and it's so like, it weirdly like inspires me in such a, a strange way. Um, but I, I felt like I owed it to myself because I tried to come out and transition when I was 14. Um, so I was just like, you know what, like, I'm not gonna, you know, basically ghost, especially with the pandemic too, like ravaging like a year or two years of our lives. Um, it's like, I've already lost that much time in my life. Um, so why spend any more time like, you know, uh, avoiding the limelight or avoiding opportunities to perform or things like that. So I've just like kind of transitioned like under a spotlight, which has been really terrifying. Like that, uh, the second verse of that song that I talked about was, uh, is not about my, like the first verse is all about my first experience, like seeing myself. Um, and then the second verse is about like the first time I ever allowed an audience to see me, which is the first time I wore a dress on stage. I was so scared. Um, and it's like, our special guest that week was Frankie Grande, who is the gayest man in America. So it's uh, okay. was that Ariana Grande's brother? Yeah, yeah. Um, who is like he's an, he is the most talented person ever. He's so. When was the first time singer. you did that? By the way, that was uh, maybe like four or five or six months ago. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, so this is all pretty recent for you. Yeah, yeah. And I I had no business being um, <laughs> nervous because I knew like Frankie uh, is like you know, very queer and very, uh, open and accepting and like his audiences as well. Um, but yeah, like, uh, it was daunting, you know, and, um, and I think that that was a really cool experience, but, um, yeah, like, so it's all been kind of new. Uh, but I, I decided to do that like on stage because like, I just didn't want to waste any more time totally. in my life. Um, and that's the most real you'll feel, you know, yeah. I'm sure, you know, that that's your one passion and you're doing what really makes you feel comfortable. Are there certain things that, um, are coming up in a month to month that you're dealing with that you otherwise wouldn't expect that you would have had to deal with transitioning? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like there's like all these little rites of passage. Like, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm going to Toronto, uh, next week. Uh, there's like the grand reopening of second city Toronto. Oh, so I'm going to go, uh, just be in attendance there. And, uh, I, I, it's, it's, it hasn't really dawned on me because it hasn't mattered. My passport, like the photo is very outdated and um, like I got a new driver's license photo and, and like updated the change the M to an F or whatever, you know, but I uh, need to do that with my passport. So I'm uh, gearing up for like an awkward conversation with the border, you know, agent. Well, um, and also there legal first name changes that you have to do too. So yeah, like my, uh, all I did was like drop an E off the end of my name. Uh, so, and, and like Jesse is like kind of a gender neutral name anyway. So like mm -hmm. I haven't, I think there's a, a bit of a process to like do that, but That's I just have, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just kind of like colloquially go by Jess and you know, it's not, <laughs> yeah. no biggie. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, been an interesting thing to have to like gear up for. And yeah, like uh, this is actually something where I'm like so grateful for like trans YouTubers that I used to follow and stuff um, because like I get James Charles type. <laughs> so James Charles, uh, I, I wonder if James Charles is ever going to transition. Uh, he's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, but like Gigi Gorgeous is, is a, a trans YouTuber that I've like followed forever um, since before she transi uh, transitioned. And some of these YouTubers have like had experiences that would have been really overwhelming and daunting for me to have like without any expectation that they could happen. Um, case in point, uh, airport security when you go through the airport scanner where you like hold your arms up like this um yeah yeah the uh the tsa agent um presses a button that says man or woman uh and it like scans you differently based on what they press and the scan is like making assumptions about your genitalia based on what it presses and so um the thing that I, I, I think Gigi Gorgeous has a very specific video where she experienced this where they press girl because they read her correctly but then um it like read uh, male, male, quote unquote, male genitalia. Uh, and so then she had to get like frisked. And I think she got like, I don't know, like uh, a really intense, like bad situation happened as a result of it. Mm. And um, so like when I was, I was at the Austin airport uh, a few months ago and it was like, it's weird because it was like kind of a, a little victory where the person read me correctly uh, as a woman. Um, however, <laughs> they, uh, because they did that, then the scanner went off. And I, so I, I, luckily, I knew that this might happen uh, because of that YouTube video I'd seen before. So I wasn't like, what? What's going on? Like, I wasn't confused by it. But I did see the TSA agent's eyebrows just kind of raise a little bit because they they know they're about to have to have, like, an awkward conversation. 
Uh, but I see that and I turn a little bit and I see there's just like a big red square around my crotch. And, uh, (laughs) so like she handled it perfectly. You know, I think this was better to have an, uh, happen in Austin than in any other airport in Texas, uh, because the woman was just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to ask her. Um, uh, she walks up to me and she's like, Hey, um, uh, what are your pronouns? I said, uh, they're she, her, but, um, but that is what that is. Uh, and, uh, I like, you know, just had to kind of acknowledge it. And luckily it was like a, a woman and like, it was, she was very cool. And, um, she just gave me a little pat down or whatever, but like, um, so there's a little rites of passage like that where it's like, um, you know, like I, I went to a wedding like as a woman for the first time recently. And, uh, and it was at like the Yale club. It was a very fancy wedding with a bunch of, uh, people from TCU were there too. And it was like this extremely special thing where like, I, I don't know, like, I, I love my ultra-woke friends in, like, Bushwick and stuff who include me no matter what and who would have included me, like, while I had that facial hair and everything. Uh, but it, it kind of feels, like, a little bit um, performative, like, come on, girl, with, like, an X instead of the I for girl or whatever. Uh, and, like, it just feels like there's a, a slight asterisk in my inclusion. And, um, and it feels really special when, like, <laughs> these people who have no agenda to be like, well, it's weird. It's weird. Cause the inclusive people are the best people in the world. But, um, when I'm with people who like are very much like fitting a binary and still see me on the right side of the binary that I've always wanted to fit onto, uh, it's really special to me. So when I'm included in like women's spaces and, um, just like seen for who I am and have always been and wanted to be, uh, is really meaningful to me. So like going to that wedding and it's like these really, you know, I don't know, like very, TCU people uh, who are buttoned up and who have probably never interacted with a trans person, at least knowingly, uh, before, who then are, like, getting all the TCU girls to go to the dance floor, and they didn't think twice about, like, waving me on, and it didn't feel like, and Jess, wink, like, you can come. Um, It was just like, yeah, of course, like, all the TCU girls are coming to the dance floor, so come on. Uh, Like, those moments like that are really special to me. So, yeah, I think a lot of core memories are are definitely, like, happening. Like, uh, I think probably every month there's, like, at least one really meaningful thing how did the rest of your family take you transitioning and then also your family excuse me your friends like growing up seeing you differently at all like how was that yeah or how uh, has that been i guess it's been interesting yeah my uh i don't know like i, I have a sister who whose dress i dried on you know yeah. um, and she's uh she's 10 years older than me so we've never been like super super close um, but yeah she she has like young children and i think she's just like not super aware of like how to handle it and I don't know if she's like really trying that hard to understand it so like we're you know pretty estranged at this point and I think like like missing a sister like I I think the that I grew up on this dynamic with like 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 little quote-unquote brother and older sister is like not that meaningful of a a dynamic for like you know with 10 years apart like it's just not an iconic relationship. Yeah, you're not really in the house. To yeah. me. I mean, it's like senior in high school and what, you were like 11? Yeah, yeah, or, exactly. Or younger than that, younger than that. Yeah, so it's like, um, uh, like it just wasn't a very strong bond. Even like older brother, younger sister is a strong thing because it's like you look out for, you know. Um, yeah, okay. But th- so like there, there wasn't like a really strong connection that we were like anchored by like, you know, societally. Um but then I think it was like just the this wedding actually and getting ready for it and like I was wearing like a form fitting dress like it and I was like really excited to share that with family or, or anyone like who was close to me. Um, all of a sudden, like that was the first time that I like I told my sister like yeah I'm really excited for this wedding I'm going to and we hadn't talked in a little bit and uh, I was I was kind of leading the witness I was like also really excited for my outfit like are you on ask a me bait about or it. you know what I mean yeah. Uh, very much baiting her and she did not take the bait and uh, it was like ah and um, <laughs> I bet you're gonna look great. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I don't know, like, I think that, like, I, it was the first time I, like, ha- I gave someone an opportunity to be an older sister to me as, like, older sister, younger sister, um, and she didn't take it, and all of a sudden, like, I have this, like, cavity in my heart that I'm, like, I'm yearning for, like, an older sister, uh, so well, if Well, I would think it would just take her, you know, take her a little bit of time yeah, to get yeah. fully comfortable with it, Yeah, you know? yeah, and that's the thing, too, is, like, I, I wish, I don't know, it's like maybe some, I don't know, her, her thing is like that she doesn't understand and it's like, Well, I'll, she I'll will though. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that comes at like her own timing, just like our careers in general, you yeah. know, like we'll get our biggest gigs X amount of years in, you know, you won't get it like six months in, two years in, yeah. something like that. So I think it's just, you know, a continuous growing and basis based on that. That's great. So what would you say to maybe somebody who is thinking about, 
their transition or maybe they think that they're gay. They're like confused. What were, what were some of the thoughts that you had in your mind just as an individual, I guess like young boy, not really having many people to relate to. Right. Yeah. I think that it's like, you know, um, the internet is a useful tool. Um, and you can use it to, you know, find people who are like you and who have gone through pretty much any situation. Um, whether it's losing family as a result of coming out or, uh, feeling like you might, you know, um, and, and I did think, you experience that at all? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, it's it's been interesting because like we've we've lost some of my fiance's family as well, and so it's like been this interesting um, thing where I feel certain guilt, and it's like like I'm not the one like doing a bad thing here. Like ultimately, no. it's like it's uh, it's people's bigotry that caused uh, you know some disconnect between us and family members, but it feels like my transition is the reason their bigotry matters all of a sudden, you know, so it's like, I've definitely dealt with some guilt there, but, um, yeah, we've lost some, uh, family and like some friends as well here and there. Uh, not everyone, which is great, you know? Um, and, and I think luckily I'd, I'd confided in enough people that, and that certainly gave me the strength. Like if you speaking to this person, hypothetically again, like if you feel like there are people who would react positively, uh, rely on those people and lean on them, um, because that's what I definitely did that like gave me the strength to be like, all right, I'm not going to lose everybody. I definitely know I have some people who will stay in my corner like after I come out. And um, and I think, too, like there's this. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can't live your life for other people. Right. Yeah. And I think like, you know, so, like a lot of people in my life who I thought I was like on the fence about whether or not they would react positively have, you know, proven to be incredible folks who have stepped up for me in a really big, meaningful way. And um and I think what's really sad, and I have a friend who is like struggling to come out as gay right now uh, to his family. And, and it's how old like, is he? Uh, he's like 26. Yeah. And wow. um, and uh, yeah, I think what he's dealing with, weirdly, is like I've I've just coined this term like earlier this week um, is Schrodinger's bigot um, or Schrodinger's homophobe or transphobe or whatever. But um, it's like you're dealing with the negative repercussions of someone's bigotry. Uh without actually like coming out. So you don't even get the benefits of coming out and living authentically, but you are proactively responding to their hatred or bigotry toward you. Um, and so it's like, if you're already suffering from how you perceive this person's going to react, you might as well get reap the benefits of being free and living authentically. I think that also just speaks to how people can live their life in general. You know, like people are always going to think what they think. Yeah. But you might as well just do what you do because people are going to think a certain way either way you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's also, there is like a literal fear involved like I th because I think, you know, uh, I mean, yesterday was, uh, yeah, yesterday was Trans Day of Remembrance and there was like a, a major like shooting in Colorado, Colorado Springs. Yeah. Um, at a gay club. Um, and so you do need to be vigilant and like stay aware of your surroundings. Like, you know, freedom does not mean freedom from thought or, you know, uh, or presence, uh, because you do need to like be aware of your surroundings and things like that. But, um, but not at the expense of, you know, authenticity and like being yourself. Uh, I think, I think you can find your people, they exist everywhere. And like, <laughs> like, Maybe more out trans people live in New York and L.A. and places like that. But uh, that's only because it, those are known spaces where trans folks can exist freely and uh, thrive. Because I am not a New Yorker by trade. Like, I, I am a Midland, Texas native. Yeah. And I am trans and thought that while I was in Midland. Um, and it was not a matter of, like, New York making me trans. It was uh, being trans and fleeing to New York as, like, a refugee basically you know um and so knowing that like people exist uh wherever you are who can resonate with you like i there was a, a thing on uh, i think it's the u.s census or something like it that said like one in every 200 people are trans and that's like quote unquote not a lot of people like that's uncommon and people say like, that's less than one percent of the population and i'm like that's one in every 200 people like and i graduated in a pretty big school with like 800 people so it's like there's three other people at this school who feel what I'm feeling in and your year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's people too, who like have taken a survey and like, you know, felt comfortable saying that on a survey. So it's definitely more at that. least 0.5% and probably more than that. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, 
that just blows my mind. That's incredible. Yeah. So, um, or, you know, like I, I've Midland when I was growing up, had like a population a little over a hundred thousand. So that would mean like, what is that? Uh, 550, 500 people, I think. There's 500 trans people in Midland, Texas. Like, that's crazy if my math is right. Um, it is. That's right. That's 500 people. Um, that's incredible. That's so encouraging. Um, and it's like, it's sad that I think, I don't know, with, with trans stuff specifically, it's interesting because a lot of people's goal is like to be stealth and to transition to the point of invisibility, whether it's like a defense mechanism or just a goal. Um, but what do, you, what do you mean by so that? So meaning like passing is a big uh, thing that people talk about is like um, reading as a cisgender woman, as like a trans woman. Um, because like I, I don't know, like people read me as female like on the street and stuff now, but, um, but for a little while it was like I was visibly trans. And like I think in certain instances I still am, you know. Um, but a lot of people like they transition and whether it's a matter of, uh, I think a lot of the time it's just out of safety and like out of necessity. They want to skip that portion where they kind of look like their old self maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And people who don't want to disclose their trans identity to right, other right, people right. because they fear violence. And, uh, if nothing else, like just fear, uh, a lack of acceptance and things like that. And, um, so with, with gay people and, um, like other members of other letters in the LGBT community, um, it's like they're fighting for visibility and fighting to love freely out in the world. And I think that's true of the trans community, but a lot of people uh, individually work really hard to become invisible and like just transition so well that they assimilate into a like cisgender heteronormative like society. Uh, and so like there's absolutely like trans people that I don't know are trans who I like probably looked up to my entire life and I wish that I had, you know, known or been able to like, I don't know, wish there was like a secret hand sign or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, but, but trans people exist everywhere. And, uh, and I think, you know, using the internet in a meaningful way is, is huge. Like just, you know, equipping yourself and, uh, you know, knowing that you're valid and that it's uh, a beautiful thing too. Like I think my, my heart kind of goes out to people who have never had to fight to be themselves because they don't then have to do a whole lot of internal work to figure out who their self is. And um, so that's one really beautiful thing about, I think anyone in the queer community is uh, that like people have told you like you are not valid and you have had to stake your claim For and like so really long, like man. dig your heels in and say, no, I am valid. And I, I actually know really well who I am and I have a stronger sense of self than you probably do. You know, like um, it's like a really special thing that you have had to fight to be who you are. Um, yeah, so it's been a, a beautiful experience, I think. So the past year for you has been the best year of your life, you think? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I freaking love that. <laughs> yeah. Love that, Jess. Thank you so much for oh coming on the podcast. This Thanks was an amazing episode. Me. So shout out where we can see you next. Are you performing every week at Asylum? And uh, we'll pop up your Instagram right here. Every week at Asylum NYC. You can check me out at Asylum Main Stage Presents. We've got Joe Firestone coming up in a couple Let's of weeks. Go! So yeah, hope to see you there. And uh, Instagram, we're popping it up. And it's I'm right here. Jess underscore LG and right there. Absolutely. Jess, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next time. Peace.